Welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast, where we focus on bridging success with fulfillment in your personal, business, and spiritual life. And now your host. Hello, and welcome to the Mastering Fulfillment Podcast. My name is Scott Berry, and today we have an exciting guest who we've had on the program before. I'd like to invite and welcome Mr. Ray Dr. Ray, how are you doing today? I'm doing amazing. Thank you for having me again. Ray's been on the show before. We'll actually link to the last time we had him on the show, but we're always excited to have him bring his heart, his years of experience, and his expertise to the show. Today in our relationship series, we're going to be talking about toxic and abusive relationships, kind of how to identify them and how to bring in more tips and tools to your own relationship. So let's start from the fundamental place of how would you describe toxic relationships? How would you describe the difference between a toxic person versus like a toxic experience? So a lot of times people will project onto another person, you know, how bad they are, what they're doing to them and be in this place of being victimized. However, often what is happening is that the person is staying in a relationship and not being authentically true to themselves. Therefore, by remaining in the relationship that's misaligned with that person, they're going to experience a lot of suffering, trauma, and the experience of being toxic. In fact, I was working with a couple last week, and the guy is really my client. He ended up bringing his girlfriend, and he's been wavering as far as whether or not he wants to be in a relationship or not. And he's kind of come and gone a few times, like three times. And of course, there's a part of her knows that, you know, he probably is just not ready, but she's choosing to stay. And even in that, I saw them together. She said, you're toxic. You're this, you're that. And of course, I reframed the question because the guy definitely is, he's not a toxic person, but he's indecisive about if this is the relationship he wants to stay in. But she's also not going with her She's also kind of more codependent and blaming him for the direction her life is going. And whenever we do that, of course, we're going to experience. Talk- Interesting. So in that example that you have, it sounds like the woman is almost, because she's almost less upset with him, but almost more I guess even subconsciously more upset with herself that she's not in the relationship that she knows she probably deserves or that she wants. It sounds like she's almost projecting some of that on him. Am I hearing you correctly? Yes. And in fact, you know, many people who hear this will could be triggered by this because taking personal responsibility can be really difficult for people. And to say that how I feel What I'm feeling inside is because deep inside, I'm not walking in my truth sounds absurd. But if you really step back and look at that, it's also empowering. It's saying that I'm the one who's creating this because I know that I could do better. Or if you start going deeper to find out the transparent reasons why they stay, what will come up is dating is hard. I don't want to put myself out there. I'm lonely to this is a lot better than my other relationship, but it's still not that healthy to 
um, I don't know where to go. I'm getting older. And this person said that they might be open to having a child. You'll start hearing all these different reasons why they stay rather than, than owning it and, and saying, you know what? I'm afraid and I don't know what to do. I want to pause on that just for a second because I think you hit on the, such a key point and I'd love to get your professional feedback on this. We talk a lot about on this show, one of the key fundamentals of creating a a healthy relationship or a self-actualized marriage or a self-actualized relationship is this whole idea of personal responsibility, taking personal responsibility in the relationship for your own shit, your own feelings, and how hard that actually is. I would just love to get your feedback on your view on just how important personal responsibility is and anything tied to that. Absolutely. So first off, you know, I'm going to answer in a, in a, like with how I would work with, say, a, a couple. And so more than often, a couple will first show up with addressing what the problem is and saying, he is doing this, she's doing that. And then when I ask them their history of what it was like, you know, in their home, in their culture, they often will talk about how their parents were dysfunctional or there are particular demands on them in their culture that didn't align. And then I'll go further and ask them, so how did you come to know how to be in a relationship if that was your point of reference? And usually there's this pause of, and so it's as if they've gotten into a relationship and relationships in the past without their own why, their own map. And therefore, what they're experiencing and perpetuating are values that are not aligned with them to even old triggers and things that they haven't come to understand about themselves. And therefore, when they say seek a partnership and then are in a relationship, those unhealed parts themselves show up in that intimate relationship. It is why we often will say, this only happens with you. I don't know why, you know, at work or my friends, this doesn't happen. But when you're with someone for long periods of time, when you're sexual with a person, when a person becomes someone you're vulnerable with to where maybe you might feel dependent on them, then of course, those old wounds where you maybe didn't experience that is going to show. So the personal responsibility you're talking about, the way I see that is recognizing that there's parts of me that are unhealed and I have expectations in this relationship that are based on trying to heal that part of myself to, I project onto you something that I don't feel in myself to, I want you to complete me, to make me happy. And more than often that doesn't happen. Therefore, you know, we think it's the person's fault or the relationship's fault when it is usually how we're experiencing it and how we're perceiving it. And when we do the inner work, we have a different filter on. We typically experience ourselves differently in the relationship and we see our partner differently. The, in fact, I usually mostly just work with individuals. So when they're doing the work, they always see themselves differently. They see their partner differently by doing their own work. In fact, sometimes they, reckon, they recognize that, oh, it was me who was creating this. It was me that was creating this unexpectation when it, it wasn't 
up to her or him to make it right. It was up to me to change something inside. I've always found that the personal responsibility aspect is one of the key things that will set people free, not only in their own life, but definitely in an intimate relationship. And I love how you put it earlier, how a lot of this stuff that comes up tends to come up more in an intimate relationship, you know, sexually connected relationship. And if I heard you correctly, it also sounds like in order to have that responsibility, there's a fundamental layer underneath that, which is the recognition of it, the identification of it to see that, oh, it's not necessarily my partner who is the reason for my unhappiness or for X, Y, Z. And the identification seems to be a big part of it and the recognition of it. Do you have any any tips or any kind of feedback on how people can identify and maybe own up to their own responsibility when they've had a pattern for so long of maybe projecting that on their parents or their intimate partner. So yes, I'm going to answer that with two examples. Uh, okay. So the first one would be, and this is common, and that is where, say, a woman might say your presence. And that's something to desire. It's a preference to not have her partner on the phone or when she's communicating, he's not checking out. He's right there with her. And so that's that's great. And in fact, I prefer that also in a, in an authentic relationship as well. However, just imagine if part of the trigger is that her father could have been a pilot and he was never around to he was an alcoholic and just not there. Therefore, just say if this person still is present and that's not enough, of course, there's nothing that that partner can do to heal that. So the way that I would address this is it's very important. You have you can have the preference to want your partner to be present, but also your well-being, your happiness isn't codependent on he, how he or she shows up. So you might ask for it and they try, but they don't. You might ask for it again and they're doing their best, but they don't they're just not able to do that. You contracting your heart to like say, I'm not feeling good because my partner's not present is disempowering. So if you want to be in a state of being attractive to him or another person, you want to do your, your work to recognize that, oh, earlier in my life, maybe with my father, I felt it was about me. My sense of self is about someone loving me. I can still love myself while my partner is not present. I can still recognize that I'm attractive, even though my partner doesn't like stay present with me. Now, it's also up to that person. Eventually, if that person's not showing up, that might be a deal breaker. They might not be there. And maybe one of the reasons why you're actually in that relationship, because prior to like healing that with them and becoming empowered, even though that you had this in the past, you would attract these partners because there was some part of it that still needed to work it out. And so, you know, that's, you know, one example. Another one would be this, as you heard about the five love languages, okay? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's a very common thing where people say that 
they they you know the way they show love is by acts of service or affection you know the just and the thing is that while that could be true or how someone might feel more connected when someone say touches you or gives you quality time the thing is that it's very important to remember that what if that person can't show up does that mean you can't experience love through yourself through source through god or whatever to also this does that mean that that person always has to be on that way for you to feel your best and so forth so what i mean by this is for a person to shut down and say i don't feel love because you don't touch me is a form of codependency so it's more where i prefer to be touched it's what turns me on however i'm going to i i hope i can ride above this and see and feel your heart even if say you're not able to give as much quality time i'm going to rise above my preference even if you don't touch me as much and connect your heart and be able to make love with you even though say we don't have as much foreplay or touch i would like throughout the day so it's where you connect to that state of mind and consciousness anyway and see see where you are with your partner and if they can't meet you you decide you co-create in conversations but if anything you're not going to be playing into victimhood and and as if you're not getting your needs oh that's so that's so beautifully said you know i i think that right there and it's a it's a much easier said than done proposition is how do you bring in to the best of your ability your your own fulfillment, your own connectivity to your own uh, happiness and uh, your own higher self, if you will. And from that point, everything else that comes into your life, your, your intimate partner, your job, your purpose work acts as almost like a synergistic effect as opposed to a codependent effect to to your happiness. So you're not always kind of like clinging or reaching for these out conversations, these outside entities or, you know, these outside people, places, things to to fulfill you. I, I really liked how you put that. And then so circling back to the toxicity piece of it, <clears throat> how do you see the toxicity? How do you see that that piece of toxicity playing out? When it comes to that that personal responsibility part of it, I know you kind of touched on it a little bit more, but I'd like to maybe dive into where the toxicity shows up when maybe the you're not really owning your your own personal responsibility. Okay, so there are relationships where there truly is a person who say could be manipulative, okay? A person who lies. A person might even be physically abusive verbally abusive and so forth. However, in my 27 years of working with people and life coaching and relationships that every person, every person will always admit finally when we get to that space that they saw the red flags very early. Hmm. Okay. It, now, even mm-hmm. even consciously, or do you think it was there in the purview? And if they look back on it, hindsight, they're like, oh, yeah, it was definitely there. But do you think maybe when they were in it, they maybe saw it or put a blind eye to it, or maybe couldn't fully identify with it? I'm it's curious. many reasons. It's one that they, so this is, I see this more with women than I do with men. Okay. And what I'll see with 
with women is that they might connect to that reality or that experience or the words of what that man is saying. Like he's a, a dreamer. He knows how to say the right things, but his action is not matching it. So imagine she connects to his story. She's more compassionate. She's thinking and feeling that he's a great guy by how he communicates his words, his words, his words. He might even, even know the, the language you and I are communicating, but his actions are not matching. And in time, he's still not showing up to where he keeps giving excuses and not doing what he said he's going to do. That woman might stay in a relationship based off his words versus his actions. And then in time, she gets resentful. There's now all these hidden transgressions to where because he doesn't want, whatever reason, he doesn't want to be in a wrong or he feels bad or and so forth, he might start communicating to her in a ways so he doesn't look wrong or doesn't look bad, which could appear and sound like manipulative rela- communication. But typically that communication in the early stages is just like the typical excuses. You just don't know. You kind of go, okay, well, I'll, I'll see what happens. It's like, just imagine you are, you meet someone for the first time. You see that they have a tendency to have two drinks, you know, every time you go out with them to maybe it's three or four and they just give you the re, they give you excuse like, you know, work is really tough right now. And you keep seeing them sometimes getting more hammered. But first, you know, when you're, you're getting to know this person, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt. But in time, you realize that this person maybe has a drinking problem. And so you have to look at the actions of what, how the, and, and how the partner is showing. And so if you are not staying true to yourself, if you are moving into the people pleasing, if you're moving into the compassion fatigue, if you are just listening to the words, if you are not paying attention to the direction of the relationship, it will feel abusive and toxic. Now, this is not dismissing actual physical abuse in someone who is a narcissist. Sure, yeah. This is just like more the typical type of relationships that where people will still say it's toxic because they're not taking personal responsibility to get out. Mm. They didn't end it the first month or the second month or the third. Yeah, it almost sounds like their their story starts to shift like you use the example of the of the drinking they probably had a story attached to that of oh they're just letting off steam it's not a big deal and then as the relationship goes on they realize that their needs aren't getting met and then they start to kind of see it a little bit differently and start to feel it a little differently and all of a sudden that story to see attached to the alcohol starts to shift a little bit as well mm-hmm. yes. yeah yeah interesting how would you describe the importance of the knowing the reason or your why for you being in a relationship, your purpose in being in a relationship, like having that clarity of, I guess, why you're in it and the reason why you're in it. Thank you for asking that. That is aligned to what we shared earlier. And that is most people are in relationships because their parents. Most interesting. Are I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna pause you on that because I, that is so interesting. So, would you say? And I don't mean to interrupt you. That because we've just been exposed to that for so long, it's just been kind of ingrained of that's just kind of the default, and we just kind of like fall into it, regardless if it's our deep desire. 
Absolutely. As uh, an example, this one. So the way that we have been taught to experience our sexuality is with another person. We don't promote gardening. We don't promote dancing as a form. We don't promote breath work. In other words, your sexual shocker right there, you know, below your belly is connected to your creative. And so whenever we're feeling really creative, oftentimes we feel turned on. Mm. Whenever we feel maybe a little bit low energy or depressed, we'll also experience a low libido. Huh. Kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. And, and so the way that we have been taught to express parts for ourselves is very limited. So let's just say sexuality, that's one of them, you know? So we think that the way that we get that need, you know, fixed or to feel satisfied is with a person. Now I'm not saying that there's something wrong with that, but the thing is that I'll give you an example is that how, I don't know if you've been through this before. I know many other people have, I have, you're with a person who maybe like you're physically attracted to them, but there's no sparks to, or you're with someone and you, they mark all the boxes. And for whatever reason, because they don't turn into a lover, you question yourself, what's wrong with me or the person? It's mm-hmm. everything but this. That's, that's scarcity like thinking. That's not basically looking at this person as being perfect as he or she is that they satisfy an aspect of our life. Abundant relationships are not with just people, like say multiple people we sleep with. Abundant relationships are many people who might satisfy parts of our lives that you know ignite us and, and excite us. And therefore, we attempt to try to get all of that from one person. Yes. One person. Yep. So that's what I mean is, or from a human being when it could be, other forms of, of expression that's just as satisfying and even maybe possibly feels better. Yeah. That's, that's another key thing we talk about in really how do you have a, a connective self-actualized marriage? And it's, I think it even goes back to what you were saying earlier. We go to college maybe because it's the default and our parents went to college or we have 2.5 kids because that's kind of was in our generational flow, if you will. You know, we get married just because that's kind of what is, is expected of us. And, you know, now with us putting more of our time in the nuclear family, we are expecting so much more from our partners, so much so that it actually starts to create some toxicity in there. And, you know, our intimate relationship should provide beautiful foundation for us to create our self-actualization. It should spark, you know, emotional fulfillment and connectivity and growth and all that other beautiful stuff. But when you think about what truly makes a fulfilled life and all the different facets that would truly light us up, it's a lot and sometimes unfairly to ask our partner to be all those things, right? I don't know anybody that just wears this super spouse you know, emblem on their chest. It's, it's really tough. And so where do we, like you alluded to earlier, where do we go out into the community? Because 
you know, we're constantly, like, as humans, we're constantly involved in many different types of relationships. So where can, you know, I find solace and connectivity with my fellow brothers that I can't get from my wife and that's okay, you know, or even another woman, you know, not sexually or alternatively, it could be sexually if you're in an open relationship, but you know, where can you open up yourself and not have to put as much undue pressure on your spouse to fulfill those other needs from all the amazing tapestry of human beings that, that we have in our life. Absolutely. And sometimes it is like maybe something you do. So, you know, I'm a solo parent. My son is seven years old. Yeah. And my, my band has not performed since March 2020. And we ended up breaking up. But for 12 years, I used to go into this alter ego and dance in a very androgynous way and just kind of express myself. And it was an opportunity where I wasn't Dr. Ray or daddy. And I had no idea how that fulfilled my life in that kind of more, say, darker, sexy way. You know, I'm not a soccer dad by far. So I'm not the typical parent also. So I, I you know, and the thing, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I remember going through a, a, an experience where like I'm thinking, God, like why am I disliking, say, I love being my son's, you know, parent, but there was an experience where I didn't like parenting. I feel like, God, like I can't go out, you know, and I felt stuck. I felt resentment. And oftentimes parents will say, it's the kids. I can't do something and, and project that. Now, remember, that's my child. You know, he's in a relationship with me. So no differently than if he were like my spouse or someone else. Yeah. I felt like this kind of like resentment. And I went, wait a minute. He's not doing anything. He's not supposed to kind of say, fulfill this of, you know, something like this in my life. It was me express myself on stage. And so therefore, you know, like when we move, you know, I'm moving out of California, that that's something I definitely need to connect to. That's something that fulfills me. I also haven't done any live workshops in two years. So I recognize I like to be in front of people like an audience. So I haven't done it in almost two years. So that's it. That's just a part of me that keeps me alive. I've been doing it for over, I've been performing since I was 14. So that's just a part of me. And then not only that, I used to meet with three guys, minimum three times a month. It was my brotherhood. I had no idea how important my band was until we broke up. Like, oh, I, I was able to just be a dude and swear and, you know, it was fun and it was fulfilling. Yeah. I, to, to tap onto that, it almost sounds like, yeah, this is really great. And I think it's so relevant with the, the, the state we're in with COVID because a lot of those relationships and then more importantly, those identities have really shifted, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of us, you had a speaker identity. You had, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm this rock star band, <laughs> band person. And as the, you know, few months have kind of unfolded, I think you've been feeling more, it sounded like in your last example, more of the father identity almost becoming a little bit more dominant. And you're like, well, well hold on for a second. I also have this other identity and this other identity, but I haven't been able to express it. So I think just as important as being able to go out and have other people help fulfill your needs, I guess on the more fundamental level, it's really about feeding those other identities, those interpersonal identities. Yeah. A lot of times people, when they get married, they stop doing 
what they were doing when they were really attracted to each other. It's pretty bizarre. It's like whatever the routines at the gym. Now, it's one thing if you're like going out with your buddies and bowling four times a week and you got responsibilities and kids. But I'm talking about where it's like as if people will change their identity just to coexist with each other when those maybe healthy morning rituals is what keeps you alive and makes you feel a attracted to yourself. Therefore, your partner will be attracted to you. So yes, it's very important that we take care of those needs, you know, within ourselves, anything that I would want in a partnership with a woman, I can do myself. Now, of course, it's not like masturbating is, is maybe as satisfying as with a woman. It's maybe just different. But the point is that I'm not going to experience loneliness or scarcity by, being single or by being by myself. And that's where it's really, really important is that when you connect to your why, the when I have men and women work on their why, it's not for that person to, to basically fulfill something for them. It's usually something like this. My why in a relationship is to have someone see the light and dark in me and reflect that to me so I can grow. My why to be in a relationship is to stay committed and to grow and to be able to talk and and be a better version of myself. My why in my relationship is to have companionship and travel and be able to share new ideas with a person who might have different opinions. My why in a relationship is to bring love and peace to, you know, you know, if the why is to have children and you don't have children, are you going to feel like you fell? And that's an example. Oftentimes, people are very outcome-driven in relationships, which creates a toxic experience. Anything that we would want in a relationship outside of ourselves, we should be able to create some, like, majority of that in some shape or form. We should be able to with or without a partner. Now, it's always going to be different with the person, but when you come from that place, you're more attractive, you're not needy, and, you know, your happiness is not, is not codependent on whether or not your person's on or off that day. Yeah. Yeah. And this is where coming back to your why and you doing your own inner work to find out what it is for you that's going to bring in that fulfillment. What is your why? What is your purpose, you know, what are the things that are going to light you up? And then when you start to become more clear on that, then you can start to take more responsibility. But the beautiful thing is, even when you're not in a relationship, the more clear you are and connected to that piece of you, the easier and more likely it is to align with a partner who's coming from that same place. And that's either that they're already recognized where they're, they're at or you're showing up so true, so beautifully authentic in your own self that you almost become a conduit for them. You show up in a way that is inspiring to them to do that for themselves. And, you know, I, I want to go back to one thing that can you said. Yeah, I, please. I'm going to be very transparent here. So, during the pandemic, I'm, I'm single right now. I had not been with anyone. And a person showed up through one of these apps. And I already felt as though that we were not really aligned. Like she's just not 
there spiritually. Not only that, I'm moving. So she's not, you know, it's just so, but the thing is that she definitely was persistent as far as say, you know, definitely she was attractive and easy, okay to talk to, but she was persistent as far as she kind of was attracted to me, kind of more like, you know, let's this have sex type. And we ended up getting together just twice and she wanted to continue. Now, most men would probably continue that. But after the second time, you know, and I was okay with, I'm thinking, you know, well, I'm an adult, it's consensual, nothing's wrong with it. But the the thing is that when I make love to a woman, I want it to be deep. I want it to be spiritual. I want it to be, so I realized in that moment that maybe a part of me was just missing physical connection, literally physical connection. You know, we have been, you know, separated from a lot of people. I've not been out there. So, but after I had that experience twice, you know, my why for being with someone sexually is so much more. And so I, the second time I was with this person, I felt something in me saying that, you know, this is not fulfilling my true need. This is not really that satisfying. And that in order for me to keep my energy clean, to create and attract what I want, I need to cut this off. And it was, it was fine, but that's an example because I don't allow my dick to lead. I don't allow my loneliness to, to lead. I don't allow, like, it, it was just a moment of like, you know, I haven't been with someone in a while, but after the second time I realized, you know what, that was just my physical body just desiring something, but I'm so much more than this. And so, but if I were to just say, continue this relationship, I, I guarantee something would have been challenging. It would have turned into something maybe toxic. It would have created something that I didn't prefer. And the only thing I would be able to blame is, you know what? I didn't I didn't stay true to my path, to my integrity. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that really that really drives home that that example very beautifully. And you know what's really interesting about that is for whatever reason, I think what struck me is I like the fact that you actually gave it two dates. You know, you didn't throw the baby out with the bathwater because sometimes we're still, you know, we're still evaluating is this truly what what my higher heart desires. And I think when you start to actually get a little bit more clear on on your own desires, that you don't end up in a relationship that's not fitting for you three years, <laughs> right? Or yes. you know, yeah. or or two years, you know, every time I work with couples that, you know, they're either trying to consciously uncouple mm-hmm. or they're just healing from one that they've already kind of left, you know, my my question to them always, always is how long overdue was the breakup? Yes. And I can usually tell that answer alone will typically tell me we're on that spectrum with how much they're aligned with their own, with their own needs and among some other stuff. But uh, you know, if I don't know anybody that says, Oh no, the minute we felt it was off, you know, we split our ways after a year. That's that. That just doesn't happen, you know. Even even when you've been doing this work for a while and you have tools, that just does not happen. But I've seen people that you know have been in relationship. They were in a relationship for six years, and they're like, "Oh, after two and a half years, I should have ended it." Yeah. So you're saying is the pretty much the exact same thing that I'm saying. So yeah. it's typically when they don't end it, that's when you'll experience the abuse and toxicity of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. When you mentioned earlier about, you know, how we just kind of do this whole we get married because we expected to to get married, you know, there's that whole adage of uh the ball and chain. And there's this kind of expectation of oh well, when I get married, I might as well have a bachelor party because that identity of being able to do the things that I love are gone. And I think once you start to step into, you know, some of this personal responsibility of finding what your own needs are, I have found that in some of the most connective relationships that most people, men and women, feel more free in the relationship. Now, it's a different type of freedom than when you're single, but they actually feel more free. They don't feel that adage of the ball and chain, right? They don't Mm -hmm. feel like they're hindered as much. And I just think that there's so many couples out there that kind of go to this default feeling of, oh, I just, I have to sacrifice when I move from this identity to this identity, because this identity is, is kind of already predefined in so much so that, oh, I can't have these extra fun experiences and I just have to kind of bite my lip and <laughs> grin and bear it and then move forward. And, you know, I'm, I'm here to say that that is not the case and you could actually feel more free and really reshape what those identities mean, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. When, when people are more authentic and transparent in the beginning, then all there is is openness in the relationship. You know, an example will be this. I'm not going to share what the, say, fantasy or fetish was, but my ex-girlfriend asked me what it was, and I felt really uncomfortable sharing it with her. I kind of go, you know, this is kind of a something I don't even share with my male friends. And when I shared it with her, you know, she then, like later on, would sometimes bring that up to tease me, to excite me, to kind of like, let me know is okay or whatever. And so she kind of was open to that. Now people are listening to this and like, what is he talking about? But I just left a cliffhanger there. But the point was that I, I didn't have to hide anything. And I'll just give you one example. I have a lot of female friends and they're particularly like two people that I was in a partnership with who ended up helping me with my son. And I'll give you an example. And I was in the bath with my son And the friend didn't see me like say nude again, but she went in the bathroom and took a really cute picture of my son. Okay. And I even posted this picture of me holding them as a beautiful bath shot. So when I showed it to that girlfriend, she didn't go, who took that picture of you? Who was in there? She, it even crossed her mind. Whereas with other people, like who you nude around, was there something going on? You know? And so like, that would be an example where I can share every part of my life with this person. And I mean, if you're going to be an intimate relationship, wouldn't you want to be able to share everything? And that's true freedom. You know, we talk about that all the time. It's how do you define freedom, Mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in your own terms? I'd love to just take a, let's take a quick segue and just tap upon something you just said. And that is men, specifically men. I mean, this applies to both, but, but with men, the thing with the fetish, there, as as people, I guess, and especially men, we all have our thing, and our thing that if everyone else knew what we were into sexually, 
the idea we would freak out. And what I, the feedback that I have gotten, not only in my own life, but in men that I've worked with and just colleagues and friends that I've talked about this with is when you can own in a way where you can share what that is with your partner, especially early on, it doesn't have to be the first or second date, you know, <laughs> let's get to know each other first, but you know, the third or fourth date, like after you guys have been a little bit sexually intimate to be able to share what turns you on, what excites you to give them the opportunity to the best of their ability to engage with that and do it in a way where your shoulders aren't shrugged and you're kind of like closed off, but you're, you're open and you feel great about it and you're excited to share it with that person. I have found on the feedback that I have gotten is that women almost unanimously absolutely respect and honor whatever that is, even if that is not something that they are particular into, but they appreciate the transparency. And that also opens up a whole line of dialogue in that realm. You know, it's, it's really, really beautiful. And I didn't know, we won't touch on it too much, but just since you brought it up, I don't know if you have anything to, to tack on to that or if there's any feedback that you have with that. But, but I have found that just talk about something that's very freeing to be able to express that. I mean, even with my wife, I'm able to just even express the, the beautiful attraction that I have with other women. Right, just even going down the street, just like wow, that is just an attractive woman. Why she is just oh, I just got filled up just being around her, and the the freedom to even to have that dialogue with her is is very beautiful. It's uh, two things. One is uh, yes, uh, from I from what I have experienced with women, particularly women today who can work for themselves, you know, and take care of themselves, that they just want the truth. They just want the information. So they can choose to participate or not. That's it. Plain and simple. Now, on YouTube, I have made some videos about, and I got into biology and I got some, I I came from this really holistic perspective of like how men might look at other women. And like, you know, most women didn't receive it well. Like when you just said that my, when I'm able to look at other women or when I talk about them, with my wife, that she's okay with it. And what's interesting about this is that that it ha- it's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen. There's so many beautiful men and women. So when you create that resistance, it builds and it turns into something maybe negative. And so what we want to be able to do is to just be really open and authentic because what it usually does when we feel free, we feel more attracted to that person. Yes. And we don't want to yes. go anywhere else. That's the thing. <laughs> when we feel like we're free to be complete and whole in that identity, we're more fulled up or we're more full mm-hmm. and we bring that fullness in ourselves into the relationship, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes, many times, into the bedroom as well. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I can tell you, most women, if not all women, will bring more of themselves into the relationship as well when they know where their man stands, whether they're in alignment with 
certain aspects of their political views or their sexual views or whatever it happens, it, whatever it is, knowing where they stand and where their men stand is such a beautiful thing because I can tell you from my own personal experience up until my late 20s, I was always scared to be transparent about not even sexual things, but if I didn't think this is what the woman wanted to hear, I would I would pull back and hide that from them, and they would know. They would, and that there would be that tension there. So, really Absolutely. putting it out there is a really beautiful thing. Okay, question for you: How does a person learn to become more comfortable with authenticity and transparency? So, first off, you know, people who are hearing this, they might feel triggered like, oh my God, I'm, I'm afraid to be seen or I don't want them to like me or I'm afraid to, con- to create conflict. Whatever those thoughts are, that's within you right now. So you being hmm. open would probably have awkward energy to it. So it's, it's working with possibly a coach or just with yourself. What is the worst case scenario that would happen if this person doesn't accept me? Would they walk away? Can I be okay with that? I'm afraid. Well, that's your stuff, and it's shown up in relationships anyway. Therefore, you cannot attract anything better than that. Therefore, if you show up holding back, guarantee you're going to attract someone who also holds back. It's not going to be an authentic relationship that's that exciting. The more open you are, the more open that person will be. And it's true. Mm-hmm. If you were to say, share something that turns them off, and you, know, and you think, oh, I shouldn't have sh- shared that, does that feel good? Rather than be able to share it, and those who accept you stay with you. Bottom line. It's almost like a beautiful filtering system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pretty, right? yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty raw with everybody. I, I say some pretty deep things right from the get-go, but I have the most beautiful, authentic relationship. It is just a really magical. I don't feel like I have to hide from anyone. I don't shrink with anyone. Yeah. And my father taught me that. He was yeah. very direct, very assertive, not very PC at all. He made you laugh, and it was beautiful. Good for you, and 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 very blessed to have a father figure to instill that upon you. I had to. I, I am blessed that I have actually learned that, and that's the way that I navigate through life. But it took me a long time to feel comfortable to do that, and I just realized. That when I show up in all my relationships, but especially my intimate ones, that the that the feedback I get and the people that end up staying in in my life are just mm-hmm. uh, so much more authentic. Yes, um, it's a really beautiful thing. It took me a long, long time. I can tell you this as a as a personal quick story. For the longest time, I was always very honoring and respectful of all the women that I've been with them. That's one thing that I can really stand strong on. The one thing that had come up over and over and over again is this, is the feedback that I had gotten from so many women. And, and that feedback is this, I know you love me and honor and respect me. And I get that, but I have this feeling that there's stuff you're hiding from me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have anything intentional that I was hiding from them, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. That what I was realizing is I was afraid to be completely authentic and real with them because I thought this is what they want to hear. Mm-hmm. I'm doing them a service, and in hindsight, I'm doing both of us a disservice. Yes. 
Yeah. So let's talk about toxicity. Let's talk about shadows and hidden shadows. Are there ways to work through hidden shadows so we're not triggered in the future? Absolutely. So I'd shared some of those concepts in his talk already, but a direct way would be something like this. So there might be this fear of not being liked. There might be this fear of conflict. There might be where you're afraid that, say, your your partner will, say, cheat on you or you're jealous. But if you really examine deeper and ask yourself, why would I feel this way about myself? Typically, you might say, well, I don't feel good enough. I don't feel worthy. I don't feel enough. And typically, it's those core beliefs that elicit these triggers. So what our partner does or doesn't do triggers that part of ourselves as a, say, negative feedback. But instead of recognizing, I feel this because they're triggering already this low self-esteem I have or this these negative beliefs I have of my, about myself, instead of like recognizing that, we will project it onto the relationship or the person as an attack or you're late and I'm tired of you being late or you looked over there at that person. I wish you wouldn't look at that person To You spent more time with that other person. Oh, I saw more photos with your last girlfriend and listen to that projection outward. You would have to feel bad about yourself. You would have to not feel attractive to talk that way about yourself. So you're feeling threatened by outside circumstance. So if there's truly love within yourself and truly love with this person, nothing can be threatened. So why am I creating a narrative to feel threatened? And what is it threatening? I might be alone. I won't be loved. I won't find another person. That's the conversation. And that is why people stay in toxic relationships. That's why people will stay in abusive relationships. Even, say, domestic abuse, where a because I've worked with people in those situations, they might say, you know, at first he was this way and that, and then in time he told me to get rid of my phone, not hang out with my friends, and so forth, where it becomes a situation where she's financially dependent, on, and now she also has kids. And then she can share with you, I can't leave because... I got to take care of the kids. But what she's not taking responsibility to own was, is this. When someone told you to start telling you how to live your life, why did you go with it? When someone told you to stop hanging out with your friends, why were you okay with that? How are you feeling about yourself? So it goes back again to those earlier red flags of abandoning your true self, abandoning your true desires, abandoning your values. So learning your true desires and not abandoning yourself as we kind of close up the the hour in the conversation here, any tips to have people maybe who aren't typically engaged in these types of conversations, maybe doesn't have an environment to support this, any suggestions on how someone can start to get into that conversation to start helping themselves in that? Well, they could probably work with you. They could work <laughs> with me. You know, they're, 
they, you know, I can recommend a author that, you know, I love Joe Dispenza, you know, becoming uh, super now or becoming superhuman. What is the book called again? Becoming Supernatural. And that book, it doesn't specifically talk about like relationships outside yourself. It talks about how your psychology and neural nets work. It talks about like how, by the way we see things, we create things within ourselves. So that's a good a book working with you. You know, just basically exposing yourself to other perspectives. And if you find yourself saying relationships are just this way, as you hear, heard in this, this interview, they're not. <laughs> they could be open. They could change. Yeah. yeah. I think sometimes in the beginning, you know, that there's there's so many resources available. There's books and there's, you know, workshops and seminars, you know, stuff you can do on your own. But if you don't have an environment and you're listening to this right now and you're it's triggering something inside of you like, oh yeah, there there there's something more. There's something more to to my own personal identity and that whatever's being fed in my environment right now isn't isn't conducive to that. And I don't even know quite what that is, but I feel that it's off and I feel like it could be much more. What I will say is just finding someone who is a, a neutral perspective, neutral third party that that understands this, that that has this kind of language and can unconditionally love and support you in this. There's a little hump that I see some people just kind of get over. They start to see this potential and this new love for themselves. And I think once they get that, sometimes reading the books, going on to YouTube helps a little bit, but sometimes we just need someone to just help believe in us a little bit more. And just, you know, they always say the, you know, the hardest part of the path is that first step. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I I, I can't, I, I know it's, I'm biased. I know you're biased because this is the work that we do. You know, this, this is our God work that we do per se. And I think it's, I think it's so deep and, and, and uh, meaningful to us because we know that being able to be that ally for people can just create such beautiful results and it's what's going to help heal the world. And so if you can find someone that can just believe in you for a little bit until you start to get that big belief in yourself, oh man, that's you, you'll just start to see your life rock and roll and there's, there's almost nothing more beautiful. Ray, I want to thank you for, again, bringing your heart and your love and your many, many, many years of wisdom to the show. It is always a pleasure to have you on the Master and Fulfillment podcast. Where can people go to find out a little bit more about what you're currently up? Please visit my website at www.raydoctor.com. And that's R-A-Y-D-O-K-T-O-R.com. And on that website also, I'm not sure if it's there yet, but I will have some put that on there. I do have a link to a Facebook group that is for free life coaching hacks. So you mentioned how can people get help? I do have a free Facebook group where I share a lot of the same techniques and exercises I do with my paying clients. Beautiful. If you go to his website, Ray has just a ton of amazing free resources and it's a great way to really 
help support your deeper desires that we were talking about earlier. Ray, thank you so much. And uh, we look forward to having you on the show again. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this show, we would be so grateful if you left a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us out immensely. Thank you so much. Are you ready to take your personal, relational or business fulfillment to the next level? With one-on-one personal support, co-developed strategies and accountability, Scott and Joshua have the tools, compassion and years of experience helping people just like you live an extraordinary life. Visit masteringfulfillment.com for details.